Hello, everyone. Welcome to the BYU Pre-Med Podcast, hosted by myself, Kai Anderson, where we will discuss everything you need to know to become a well-rounded, well-prepared medical school applicant. Welcome back to another episode, everyone. Today, I have a really exciting episode for pre-meds and also just for anybody, even in high school or in university, that is ever going to be taking tests. Today, we're talking about how to effectively prepare for an exam and different strategies that you can use while you're in an exam. And so lots of the ideas I'm taking today are from my effective study and learning class that I'm taking at BYU right now, and also from a book called Conquering Math Anxiety, a self-help workbook, and that's by Cynthia Aram. Uh, The first thing we're going to talk about is how to prepare. Then we're going to talk about what to do while you're in the exam. And then at the end, we're going to talk specifically about multiple choice questions, just because those are the most common questions that we're going to see in exams usually. And they're also on the MCAT. And, you know, that's a big focus for us as pre-meds as well. And so that will also segue in nicely into the next episode that I'm going to do on preparing for the MCAT. But first, let's talk about how to prepare for an exam. So I broke this down into steps and I'm just going to walk through them one at a time. So step one is that we need to be preparing for exams constantly, not just the week before the exam or a couple of days before the exam, but exam preparation starts with the start of your content. So always review your notes, even if it's just for a little bit, do it every day. And then you can do more major reviews weekly. And then you're going to do your real major, you know, studying review, start that about one week before the exam. And you might be asking, how can I create a major study review for myself? And we're going to go through that right now. So first, we're going to determine the scope of the test, basically figure out what is going to be on this test and what is not going to be tested on. Then we're going to construct a list of topics that fit nicely into the scope of the test. Once we have that list of topics, then we need to find specific problems, possibly from homeworks, from the textbook, previous problems that you've seen that might be similar. So find specific problems for each topic on your list. And then the last thing is to include all types of problems of various levels and difficulties. I know in the past I've just tested myself on the hardest concepts and then I get into the exam and there's a question that's super easy conceptual thing and I haven't even thought about it for the last two weeks because I've been too busy studying the stuff that was giving me problems and I get that wrong. So make sure you're including all types of problems of of various levels of difficulty. Okay, so that's number one. So we need to be reviewing often and doing a major review following those steps that I just talked about. Number two is if you want to use your study time wisely, it's best to master all the topics on your list before you do practice tests. Now, I know that some people use practice tests as a way to review their material or to make like a study guide, but this is actually a really bad idea because in STEM, most of the tests that you're going to be taking, I'm assuming most people listening to this are STEM majors, and that's what I know. So most of the tests you're going to be taking are going to be asking you about specifics. And so if there's a specific on a practice test that a professor's giving you, that specific question is probably not going to be on the real test unless you get really lucky. And if it is on the real test, it's not going to be worded the same way. And so don't rely on the practice test to be a comprehensive study guide, right? It's it's supposed to be testing how well do you know all of this by asking specifics about little parts of it. 
So they're a great way to evaluate where you are after you've studied everything, but don't use it as a template for a study guide. Okay, number three that I have here is don't expect to be able to work out very difficult problems on a test if you haven't mastered working out those kind of problems ahead of time. We usually have to use a lot of brain power on exams. And after we've done 20 questions and we're feeling the heat of the test, we're not going to be in a good place to be able to work out a problem for the first time if we haven't already you know, studied it. So spend a majority of your time, like I said, we wanted to make sure we understand the easy stuff as well, but spend a majority of your time working out lots and lots of those difficult problems until you feel comfortable with them and you have a process for solving them. So once we feel comfortable answering all these very difficult problems and we've worked out processes for them, then for number four, we need to take and master the practice tests. And it's great if we have actual practice tests given to us by our professors, but usually that isn't the case. And so in this scenario, we need to try to create our own using questions from textbooks, from homeworks, asking the TA maybe what you can expect to see is all really good skills. And obviously, if you've already taken an exam from the professor, then you will know what, it, what it's going to look like. But if you haven't, then you need to talk to someone who already has and figure out kind of what to expect. And then with these practice tests, just test yourself as often as you can and get creative with coming up with questions because that's what professors love to do. They're not going to ask you a straightforward question about a concept that you learned, right? They're going to put it into some weird context and make you try to work with that. So if you're able to already be creative with the content, then you're going to be used to seeing that and the things that they think will be foreign to you, you'll be ready to, to work with because you've already applied this content to, to other foreign concepts as well. Okay, so for number five, this is for if we have time limits on exams. So if you do have a time limit, then when you're taking your practice tests, give yourself a similar time limit. Kind of figure out how much time you'll have per question and then practice different problems and see how fast you work through those problems to see where you need to speed up and things. And I would say even if you don't have a time limit on your exam, I know I, I already kind of alludes to this, but my brain doesn't function well for more than a couple hours at a time. And so I don't want to be in an exam for longer than a couple hours if I don't have to be. And so if you know you're going to be in a long exam, work on the things that you know are going to be on the exam. For instance, if it's a if it's a physics exam and you've had a lot of practice problems about one thing, figure out how to do those really quickly or how to work through the process in a quick way. So that way you don't have to use that brain power to get through those easier calculations in the questions. And that will just save you time and brain power. So I'd say the best way to prepare for that is just to practice those types of problems that you know you're gonna see a couple of them on the exam over and over until it just becomes automatic for you to go through those. All right, number six, this one is really important. It's to learn and recognize, learn to recognize your concepts and formulas in random order. Okay, so lots of times when we go through exam material, we go, okay, this is the first thing we learned. This is the second thing we learned. This is the third thing we learned. But your professor is going to combine those things in weird ways. And he's not going to, question number one is probably not going to be on the first thing you learn in the class. So get used to going through it in a different order. It's going to strengthen the connections in your brain to the material and just really help you be prepared for when you walk in and the test is in random order of, of content. Okay, number seven, this is now we're leading up closer to the exam. 
do not study until the very last minute and cram the night before and miss out on a good night's sleep. This is going to do a couple things. First off, sleep is so important. I would say try to get a good night's sleep for the first for two or three days previous to your exam. They've done a lot of studies. Cogn- cognition goes way down really fast if you're not getting consistent sleep. And so don't mess up your sleep schedule trying to study for the exam. And also, if you if you do that, you're going to be really anxious. And I know a lot of people struggle with testing anxiety. And so don't try to cram all night and then cram all up before the exam. And then you go in and you're going to be really nervous. But feel prepared when you go to bed at, that night. If you want to do a review in the morning, go for it. But don't use all your brain power just doing a review. Make sure you have that mem- that information stored in your short-term memory, though. And then practice some some breathing techniques. Learn some calming techniques, especially if you struggle with testing anxiety. That'll help you have a clear mind walking into the exam. There's lots of great places you can find these breathing techniques. Just, just search it up online. If you want to find um, more about the methods behind those, I'd recommend Andrew Huberman's podcast. Like I mentioned before, I listen to him a lot, but he he talks a lot about the physiological response to breathing, and he also talks about the importance of sleep. So I would I would check him out if you're wondering more about the importance of sleep and being calm when going into an exam. Okay, so number eight, and this is the last one for test preparation, is make sure that when you're taking these practice exams or going through problems that you're doing an error analysis of what you're of what you've just worked on. Figure out what careless or dumb mistakes you usually make. So that way you can keep a mental checklist of that while you're going through your exam. You can say, okay, I normally, or sometimes I make the mistake of maybe it's multiplying versus dividing here or getting these two steps of a mechanism in the wrong order. So make sure you figure out what your your dumb mistakes are and, and then you can check for those while you're in the exam. And also figure out, make sure that you're doing the problems correctly so you don't learn it the wrong way, right? There's nothing worse than going in an exam and being like, oh yeah, I know how to do this and figuring out that you didn't know how to do it, but you were doing it the wrong way. And so you're always getting the wrong answer. So you didn't actually really know how to do it. You just thought you did. And so, like I said, figure out where your silly mistakes are. Make sure you're following these things right. If there are ones that you're consistently getting wrong, then obviously practice those more. You can't overstudy for things like this if you're using error analysis. All right, so that kind of wraps up how to prepare for an exam. Now we're going to talk about what to do while you're actually in the exam. And I find these things super, super useful. It's one been one of the great, greatest things I've learned from my effective study and learning class because it's easy to learn how to prepare for an exam because we're basically always preparing for exams, especially at BYU where we have like sometimes four or five exams for a class in one semester. But we're only in the exam for so long. And so having these strategies while you're in the exam is is a really great tool. And so the first thing I want to talk about when you're in an exam is make sure that you're still working at a regular pace. Don't slow yourself way down. Don't speed yourself up if you're worried about time, right? Before we go into the exam, we should know that we're going to be able to go at a good pace and to be able to get through the exam. So work at a regular pace and then begin where it feels comfortable for you to begin. Often it's best to start with some easier questions to get your brain kicked into gear and then go on to the next easiest and so on. But I wouldn't always recommend doing that because, for instance, if you know there's a problem that's going to take you a lot of time and that's worth a lot of points and is going to require a lot of critical thinking, I found sometimes it's best to do those right at the start because 
I have my brain still alert. I'm awake. I'm ready to attack that question. And then I can use what I learned in that question to sometimes answer other questions easier as well. And so figure out what's best for you. You know, it's, it's tricky using trial and error in an exam situation, but as you're going through a course, figure, okay, does this professor always ask a really big question at the end that I am so tired by the time I get there that I can't answer correctly. And if that's the case, start with that question, right? We, we have, we're hydrated. Well, we usually have food in our system. We're feeling ready to answer those big questions at the start. Okay. Number two, and this should be listed as one actually, because this is what you should do right when you first get your exam is write out all the formulas, concepts, or charts, all those things that you've just stored in your short-term memory at the top of your exam or, you know, what questions they apply to. And then this becomes a cheat sheet for you that you can refer to at any time during the exam. I would say even put like the really easy equations on there. And then that's less brain power you have to use to try to remember equations as you're going throughout. And it'll also make sure you don't get confused if you're trying to manipulate equations or if you're trying to apply something out of context to what you've previously done. You're like, okay, you can refer to that and you won't get confused by deceiving multiple choice answers and things like that. Okay, so number three for while you're in the exam is to get into the habit of always checking every problem you work out. And I would say there's kind of three steps to this. So first, when you go through, if it, especially if it's a math problem, estimate where you expect the correct answer to be. So there's your first look at it and then go through, work it out and see if you're close to that estimate. If you are, you're probably right. Then once you've worked it out, try to figure out if there's another way to look at it to get that same answer. And if you can do all those things, then you're probably in a really good place. It's always best good to ask yourself at the end. And I, this goes along with the estimate too, because usually if we're estimating, it's going to be reasonable. But always ask yourself, is this answer reasonable when you get through it? Does, does this answer actually make sense? And then number four, and this is the last one I'm going to talk about while you're in the exam, is... Focus on remaining calm, relaxed, and positive. Make sure you're breathing regularly. Uh, make sure you've used the bathroom before the exam begins. And make sure you're relaxing your shoulders, not clenching your jaw. Push away those negative and disturbing thoughts. They're not going to help you while you're in the exam. I know lots of people like to use positive mantras and enabling thoughts while they're in the exam if they start feeling a little bit worked up. And those can really help with testing anxiety. Um, test anxiety is something that I've only struggled with in a few classes, those classes where, you know, I feel like I struggle and I, I usually start struggling with test anxiety when I'm taking those. And I found that that can be super helpful. Just take a second for yourself, right? Especially if you're not super crunched for time, like it's okay just to like sit back for a second, take a couple minutes, relax, get your brain refreshed, and then take a fresh look at a question. There's nothing wrong with doing that. All right. So that covers what we're going to do while we're in our exam. I'd say the biggest takeaways from this is to make that cheat sheet on your exam. That has saved me so many points on exams. I get to a question and I, my brain cells jumbled up by what I've been asked so far because they try to manipulate things weird. And I'm looking at a question and I don't even know where to begin anymore. All of a sudden I can go back to my cheat sheet. I can say, oh yes, I actually do know how to do this. I just need to use this formula or I can refer to my chart that talks about you know, what organelle is related to this or you know whatever whatever class you're in 
Okay, so lastly, let's talk about multiple choice questions. And like I said, these are these are what you're going to see on the MCAT, and they're the most common in school. So it's a it's a really important thing that we cover here. So number one, and this one most people are familiar with is elimination. Um, just eliminate any options you know to be incorrect. If you can like cross them out or even like take in some strips of paper and cover up the ones that you know aren't right, then it can make it easier to just look at the ones that you're debating between. Um, also, another good way to do this is to not maybe not cross out the whole thing, but mark the words in, in it that make it wrong. For instance, like this is not this and maybe it is that, and, you know, okay, so this is falsifiable. You know, we, we can underline not and say, okay, this would be right, but it's not because they use this word here. Going along with elimination, this is number two, is give each option a true false test, right? Unless it's a, like a, all of the above or both A and B, then it's only going to be one. There's only going to be one true answer on there. And you also, this is great to use for those other ones. And especially select all that apply questions. Those ones drive me crazy in college. And luckily, there's none of those on the MCAT, although they find different ways around that by using Roman numerals and things. But the true-false test will help you a lot with those select all that apply. And the best way to do this is just to read through the question and say, okay, is this statement on its own true or false with what we've been given in the question? And don't look at all the other ones. Just look at that one and say, okay, just looking at this, can I say this is true or false? And that's going to be a good way to help not be overwhelmed by those select all that apply that are like A through F answers. Those questions are crazy, but this is a great way to go about doing them. Okay, my strategy three for multiple choice exams is try to read the question with the answer choices so without stopping to see if it flows well and if it makes sense with what the question is asking. Lots of times there'll be distractors in there that don't quite fit grammatically. And it's easy to pick those out if you're, if it's like a, you know, a fill in the blank multiple choice or if it, you can tell by the manner of language, you know, if something, if something sounds off, those usually aren't the right answers. Okay. Number four, this one is another one about distractors is stuff that's totally unfamiliar than un unfamiliar to you that's likely going to be a distractor now this becomes a little tricky because if you haven't studied well then there might be something that's unfamiliar to you that actually is right but if you've put the time into studying and you covered the scope of what's on the test like we talked about at the beginning making sure you're covering everything that's on the scope then you can throw out those distractors pretty easily as long as the question isn't contextual and what I mean by that is like, if it gives you a bunch of new information and it wants you to apply something that you've already learned, then you need to keep that in mind when you're going through the, going through the answers, because it could be relating to something that maybe you hadn't seen before, but is talked about with the concept that you've already learned in the context of the question. MCAT loves using stuff like this. So the correct answer will very often be something that maybe you haven't seen before, but you have to use what you already knew in the context of, you know, a prompt that you've had to read to then use some critical thinking and find an answer that maybe you hadn't heard of before. But I'd say for the most part, questions just at university in general, if if you studied well and there's a and it and it's not a contextual question, just throw out the ones that are totally foreign to you. Okay, so number five, question options that contain negative or absolute words. So these would be things like, which of the following are not 
or or maybe uh, an option that says this always happens or this never happens. If there are words like that, try substituting them for a different one. For example, you change always to frequently and see if that makes it right. Or if it's the other way, you know, if it says frequently, try to change it to always. And then you can you can eliminate options from there. Okay, number six is if there is an all of the above option. I already talked about using the true false way to going about doing this. But just a, another thing about all of the above. If two of the three options seem correct or, you know, four of the five or whatever, just you can be pretty sure it's all of the above. You know, you're likely not to be wrong twice. You're more likely to be wrong once if you've studied well. So if two of them make sense and the third one doesn't really make sense, and there's an all of the above, it's probably best to go with that option. Okay, now there's two kinds of questions that multiple choice loves to do. MCAT loves to do these two. So these are called lookalike options and echo options. So lookalike options, as it says, they're just going to be options that, that are very similar to each other. And sometimes these can be right options. But usually if you can eliminate one of these, you can also eliminate the other one, unless there's a qualifier in there that makes them slightly different. But if eliminating one means the other one can't be right, then they both can't, right, they both can't be right, right? If there's, there's only gonna be one right answer, unless it's in all of the above, like we just talked about. And so if they're so similar that you can't separate them, then neither one of them is gonna be right. And then the other one, echo options, this is the opposite of lookalike options. They're opposites of each other. And lots of times when professors are trying to come up with answer choices, they will include the opposite in there. So if there's two opposites, it's likely that one of those is correct. Obviously, don't rely on that if you already know the content. But if you're kind of in the dark on a question, that's a great way to go. Look at look at what the opposites are and think, OK, it's probably one of these. OK, the last one is double negatives. This is another thing that the MCAT loves to do. And so if you're given a really wordy question that contains double negatives, just rewrite it out with the equivalent positive statement and it'll help you out a lot. There's also times where the double negative won't just appear in the question, but it'll be the first negative will be in the question and the second negative will be in one of the answer choices. So in these cases, again, you know, just just rewrite out the whole thing. Um, so it's so you're getting rid of that double negative and just writing a positive. And it can be a lot easier to see if something's correct in that situation. Our brains don't like working with that many variables at once. All right, so that covers all the multiple choice strategies that I want to talk about. So just to recap, we've talked about what to do to prepare for an exam, making sure we're going through difficult concepts and also making sure we're reviewing the easier ones too, making sure that we know the scope of the exam. We're testing ourselves on all sorts of questions and having a good understanding before we go into practice tests. We're not using practice tests for a study guide template because they're going to be testing on specifics just like the test. Then we talked about what to do on the exam. I'll mention it again and again, but that cheat sheet is so important. Make sure that you go into the exam feeling calm, use positive and enabling thoughts while you're in there. Double check your answers and try to find different ways to get that answer that would also be right. And always estimate your answer first if that's, a, if that's an option. And then we talked about multiple choice strategies. We talked about double negatives. We talked about echo options versus lookalike options and what to do in that situation. And I'd say the most important thing that we talked about with multiple choice is applying that true false test, especially for select all that apply, because those are the, the most difficult kind of questions that we see in college. And so we covered lots of great stuff today. I hope it's been helpful for you. And next time we're going to continue talking about tests, specifically the MCAT test 
and how to specifically prepare for the MCAT. There's lots of options out there, so it'll be a great discussion. Thanks for joining us, and if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you tell your friends about it. As many people as we can get doing well on tests, the better, I think. So make sure you share it if you found it useful.